0: This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. My name is Jake. You might know me as the cinematologist. And I'm filling in for Lores tonight. Lores has one of his many endeavors going on. He's a very busy, very important man. And so he leaves the, the dirty work to his minions, which include me. I, I'm one of them. I suppose it's not a bad thing tonight. Because we have a great movie to talk about. And with me tonight is the one and only Hans... Hans is here with me, and we're going to talk about the stuff.
1: We don't have a lot of time, so are you prepared to say on the air that you've actually seen people devoured by the stuff? Oh, hell yes, and what's worse, I've seen what's left of them when the stuff gets through and comes back up. Hans,
0: how are you doing tonight?
1: What was his last movie before dying, Do you know? Yeah,
0: I, I looked it up, and I just forgot it, so what I'm going to do is cheat, and I'm going to go to <laughs> Wikipedia to look at it, because I, I, I going into this show, uh, I didn't know too much about Larry Cohen. I've seen Q, the winged serpent, and uh, that's a crazy movie. Uh, The last thing Larry Cohen did was an episode for the Masters of Horror series called Pick Me Up, and it sounds like one of the hitchhiker episodes they might have, and aside from that, he wrote something called The Gambler, The Girl, and The Gunslinger, which sounds like a western, but Larry Cohen is a guy who is known in the underground film circuit as one of the premier cult filmmakers of his time, primarily throughout the 1970s and the 1980s. And for those of us, like me, who are big connoisseurs of the show, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, which is a fantastic program, they've been playing quite a bit of Larry Cohen on the show lately, and they covered The Stuff, again, his 1985 film starring Michael Moriarty, which... um, well, you know what, I'm going to defer to you Hans on this because it says a lot about American consumerism and uh, the culture of America and its relation to junk food. But I don't, I don't know too much about in your experience, junk food in Costa Rica. Do they have junk food in Costa Rica or do they, is it just all bananas? Oh no. <laughs> well, we do have, uh,
1: bananas in very, and a lot of different ways, uh, So that's uh, we do make the snack. I don't know if you've ever had plantain chips, but they're they're pretty good. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, we do have a lot of uh, and actually, even though American uh, American Costa Rican television is not that old. There is a lot of very classic uh, commercials that from the 80s and 90s that if you mention it to anyone, like they're just uh, famous enough where everyone will remember it. So uh I guess uh because we didn't have many there's just I don't know 10 15 maybe products that uh, got airtime at that time so uh uh th- there is a a huge consumerism especially now um because uh it, American products are so accessible and now uh we have a way of of getting your guys's products without going through a lot of hassle like now uh courier services are uh, take about I don't know 5 days for you to receive your products that you buy online so uh, yeah I'm I'm a I'm a big uh, proponent of uh consumerism I do spend my money on a lot of uh, stupid shit. Um so I guess I did uh identify with the, with this uh movie a little bit when it comes to the talking about that but uh yeah I mean I had seen this movie um a long time ago. Uh we we used to I think I talked about this uh, last time uh I was on the show but uh we used to have like a Thursday movie movie club thing when i lived in canada all we would do which was monster movies and me movies and this was one of them uh and uh it was uh pretty refreshing to watch it again after so many years i guess
0: yeah this was my first time seeing it and uh i i'm really happy that the uh, the cold film is being highlighted by a, by a show again hosted by joe bob that's gotten so popular that i i think it's good now it's a good time that uh, cult films like this are getting their, their day again and getting getting their due diligence because this is undoubtedly a super cheap and cheesy movie, but it's those very qualities about it that make it so great. Now, you and I off the air were talking about just cult films in general and, and just the kind of uh, textures that seem to come with these movies. And there's definitely a possibility and a market today to make a cult film, and I, I would I would advocate... Anybody that has the, the spare chance to do it, do it because those seem to live on better than most uh, avant garde contemporary, uh, quote unquote masterpieces.
1: Yeah, uh, there's something about uh, the fact that now everything is so HD and so clean looking, and it, it's missing that cheap film, uh, look that, uh, 80s and 70s, uh, uh, even 90s, I guess, uh, B movies used to have where, uh, it like, I, I f- now I feel like since everything is so clean, it kind of just feels like I'm watching a, a fan film that's just playing homage to to those uh, B-movies from the 80s. When back in the day, like, since the, the look of them was grittier and dirtier, even if it wasn't intended, uh, just because that's what was available at the time, uh, it gave them a little bit of more... I don't know, accessibility and more uh, real, like they felt more real than now. Again, now now I watched, uh, what was the movie, The Ranger uh, recently, which was pretty fun. But that was one of my bigger issues that it felt like it was, I was watching a fan film instead of, you know, like something like, like this, like the stuff where uh, there's something about the dirtiness of the the look
0: of it that it makes it more real, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a way we can still capture that today. I think it's that everybody that's on a budget likes the idea of having, on a restricted budget, likes the idea of having a good camera that can Mm -hmm. compose beautiful-looking shots. But it's like, if you just know how to shoot the film, it doesn't matter what P it's in, whether it's 720, 1080, or if if it's in 4K. And I totally agree with that that idea. There there are some real culty films out there that, could totally have that that vibe and that appeal, but it, it's kind of thrown off by how strangely nice it looks. So you get this weird product that doesn't give you the same kind of subtle psychological cues that something like the stuff does. Now you might be you might say that that's just a product of the times because they were they were shooting on cheap film stock back then and they they were just. Uh, hastily churning this out in the editing room so a lot of dust got on the film negatives and whatnot so yeah that's true in one regard but with the idea of making a cult film today and a lot of these a lot of these cult films of today that's their intention they're they're still forgetting that a cult film does have a look and i totally agree that uh that's one of the lacking issues in a lot of them today like one that i had mentioned to you off the air was uh The Car Road to Revenge which I reviewed on my podcast uh, a couple months back which was serving as a uh, direct sequel to the 1977 film The Car and it's all those problems and then a lot more it, it it was riding off of a movie that was great for its contemporary concepts its its stylistics and James Brolin and it just took a dump on it and Thought if you gave it this sleek cyberpunk look, it's still gonna elicit that same. (laughs) Oh, dude, I'm done with cyberpunk. That that's another show in itself. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I I am way way done with it. Uh, But I'm I'm trying to think of
1: uh, a movie that recently might have had that look of, you know, just dirty. Just I don't know. Maybe Mad Max was maybe the closest to that. Uh, well but even that was very slick looking even it was if it was you know what you were watching on screen was disgusting
0: but well it might be considered a cheat but I would even say Mandy because if you watch okay. it with with the right mindset I don't know if you've seen Mandy yet yeah 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 I I would say so I mean it's brilliantly shot in it, and it's and it's just super appealing to look at but the visual nature of it is very um it was actually shot on anamorphic, on the anamorphic film format. So that might be one of the things that's given me that kind of uh light bulb over the head, so right. to speak. But yet Mandy was very conscious of that, but doing it in a really high budget way. But the stuff, the stuff on the other hand was uh fairly low budget for its time. This was 1985. I think the budget was just under 2 million, which yeah. still at that time, th- that was still nothing. And, you know what? Let's let's not talk about the movie real quick. Again, uh, Hans, I want to I want to I pull the curtain back on yeah. Hans's uh, lifestyle because why not? I know nothing about Costa Rica and I don't know as much about <laughs> Hans as I would like to. Hans, right. what was your favorite crappy snack as a kid? What was your favorite garbage snack?
1: Oh shit. I mean, we there were was so a... many because you and me were both
0: <laughs> chubby kids. I think. Oh yeah,
1: I was a <laughs> fat boy growing up. Uh, it was a lot of just salty treats. Uh, when you live in Mexico, everything has uh, some kind of spice in it. Uh, so they have this things called uh, chamoy, uh, which is just like a sauce that you put on fruit or you put on pretty much everything. Uh, and uh, even if you go now, I think they even sell them in South uh, Southern California now. Uh, they sell these huge jugs of just. Uh, Vegetables like cucumber, uh, oranges, mangoes, and then they just throw a bunch of this spicy candy and also peanuts and just like make this huge mix of just everything that you would think will not go together and, and it looks disgusting, but it's amazing. Uh, so I would love that. And I don't know, just uh, American chocolates actually, uh, because since uh, growing up in Mexico, uh, I live really close to the border. So my grandmother used to go uh, to uh, what's it called? Those? los mochis i think something like that i don't i haven't been to mexico in like fucking 15 years but she used to bring just bags of candy and uh she would have a living room uh that had just uh china stuff full of candy and um while everyone would be talking to each other and you know being a family in the living room i would be in that room
0: eating, eating candy <laughs> getting fat well, by myself <laughs> wait wait a minute did you guys ever have um halloween when you were growing up or
1: yeah, um, it was a little bit different though, because um, there's, uh, of course, a uh, you know, Mexican tradition. I think it has to do with uh, Day of the Dead and all that. But uh, in the Northwest, uh, which is where I'm from, uh, we have these uh, guys that we call Fariseos, which is um, guys that will wear um, like this what do we call it? Like, they're, they're not bells, but they're kind of like bells, but they're made with seeds, so they sound like a maraca. Right, so they would have that on their uh, ankles and also on their wrists, and they would wear these uh, homemade hairy masks uh, that would cover the entire, their entire head, and then they would wear um, like hairy wristbands and, and things underneath, so they would look like monsters, and then would go around. You said and- they would wear
0: hairy wristbands.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so that they would look like monsters, just accessories to make them look like monsters. But the, the masks were just uh, massive and the face in the mask will be really tiny. So a lot of it would just be, you know, hair. Uh, and they would uh, come around and uh, they would be kind of like homeless people because they would do like their little dance with a little drum and they expect you to give them money. Uh, but they would What's just the – Gypsies. Take- te- yeah. Gypsies. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that would, that would be a, a name for them. Uh, but, I mean, they weren't mean. But just because of their outfit and all of that, kids would be terrified of them. So I guess that's one of the traditions that we would have. Besides, you know, Day of the Dead, which would be just
0: you know, eat candy like, like a motherfucker. Was. Okay, okay. So candy was a huge part of it. Oh yeah, like America. Yeah, I, I can say as uh, growing up in in all America, an all American household, it was that was like uh, an early Christmas, especially when you were chunky fatso like I was. Uh, just I, I don't know how much you guys would stock up back down there in your day, but. Uh, in my day, I came from the pillowcase era where it was, you, you ran out with a, a pillowcase and you didn't come back until it was full and you just had this gluttonous amount of candy that you would force feed yourself until Thanksgiving. I, ha- I had weird cousins that would like hold on to their candy until like Easter. I didn't know how they could do what? that. And, yeah, yeah. They they would just, they'd like kind of stack it up over the multiple holidays. So from Halloween to Christmas to Easter and you know, it's that damn marketing. It was all those Elvira commercials with her perky tits, uh, just advertising candy. And that'll yeah. work for me now. So I can't. <laughs> <It> still <laughs> I works can't say for
1: me. Anything. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, I think uh, the, the whole being ignorant and afraid of everything culture that unfortunately Latin America still suffers from. Uh, When we were kids, we were only allowed to go uh, like two streets over uh, to get candy because everyone was afraid of the, you know, the poison candy or the razor blade in in the apple. Uh, So it was a very restricted area that we could actually go to. And uh, I don't know if you remember or if this happened to you too, but... For whatever reason, in every neighborhood that I've ever lived, there's always, like, one street that, you know, you're not supposed to go to. And it sounds very cliche and very, like, it type of thing. But it, I just remember that, like, street number four in our neighborhood, it was just a, a, a street that, for whatever reason, had just dilapidated houses. Uh And, like, even though everything else was nicely populated and they were, you know... um medium to low income houses but they were clean at least and they look pretty nice and then there was just one street in the middle of everything that was just it just looks like a fucking horror movie uh and i remember that what we used to do we just you know run through it and hopefully see something but at the same time try to not see anything i don't know if that makes any sense i'll I'll (laughs) tell you
0: what if if there was a street like that for me back in the day i didn't know because my chubby ass ran down it probably anyway to grab as much candy as i could so, were you uh, were you
1: a little scared, a <laughs> kid? No, like, no, not really. really. Especially
0: not on Halloween. No, oh, boy, I, nothing. Mm. Nothing would keep th- this chunky boy away from his butterfingers, <laughs> my uh, candy of choice back then. So that's how we're gonna tie into the stuff now. So mm. for those of you who haven't seen the stuff or heard any commentary on it, the stuff is again a Larry Cohen film, and it's really a satirization of the commercialization of of junk food and just gluttonous products on the. American c- consumer and on the American locale and this was in the middle of the 80s which a lot of people have criticized as kind of an over consumerist decade in in American history and uh, I don't think it's gotten any better sense in that regard as a matter of fact today it's um, it, it's just which corporation is putting out the right message while they sell their product That that's kind of the weird trend going on at least in the 80s it was eat our stuff or eat our candy it was that simple. And uh, beef, right? yeah, and Larry Cohen had devised this, uh, this ethos from just seeing a plethora of advertisements and really just being concerned that we're just being flooded in the market or we were being flooded in the market with, with just junk that, that kills us, but we don't care because the TV says to eat it anyway. And that's where he came up with the stuff. And the stuff is... I guess the actual prop itself was made from blended up fish bones, you know that <laughs> creamy that creamy white substance that they eat throughout the whole movie that was well, uh, yeah those were it, fish bones blended up into. it seems like
1: the 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 one they used for like the the scenes where there's a lot of quantity of it that's when they use the fish bone, apparently they did use like yogurt and uh melted ice cream when they ate it uh but everything else was that foam that for whatever reason, we were able to make it out of Fishburne. They just stunk everything up.
0: Now, you know what? To me, it's one of these kinds of movies, but I'll ask you the question. When you watch this movie, and you watched it just before the show as a refresher, is it one of those movies that doesn't make you want to eat? Like, you just feel so gross when you watch yeah. it. Yeah. yeah well, I, 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 that's obviously by design, but go ahead.
1: I mean, it's not a very appealing-looking snack to begin with. It looks like marshmallow just sticky just you know that you would have to chew on it for a long time uh so it's not it's not very appealing but yeah i guess the the way that they die makes you not want to eat anything just because it's you know the it's very graphic and very um uh, f- horror horror physical
0: horror e i guess yeah i guess so uh with the faces collapsing in with the skin being yeah. all like feeble and everything oh that that's just that's just Class A cult cinema right there. And you know what? Let's uh, pass this on to the lead, our hero of the movie. Always, always a great character. His name is, what's it, Mo Rutherford, played by Michael Moriarty. Now, I, I just got to say this. When you look at this guy, Michael Moriarty, he, he was in five Larry Cohen films. I guess they were uh, great partners. And uh, he was in Q, The Winged Serpent, which I had seen some weeks ago. What's the what's the feeling get you get when you look at a guy like Michael Moriarty in a movie? He's very annoying in this movie. And I love that
1: uh, they try to make him seem like he's not as smart as everyone else. You know those people that you, you think are not as smart as they are, uh, which is actually a line that there's in the movie where they, where they tell him uh, you, you're smart and that you look or something like that. Uh, but it's funny that all they did to make him look quote-unquote dumb was just giving him a southern accent and and that's it he's still like a smart ass and he still has like his one-liners that are very not good uh what's the one about his name uh people call me mo because i always want mo or something like that because yeah because i always Uh, want mo uh, (laughs) which is just uh, like i don't understand if they thought that was going to be uh you know the iconic line because he says it like two or three times throughout the movie um but it's just yeah he's not he's not charismatic enough i think like he just comes up uh, uh, up as like just a a southern dick i guess especially because he seems to know everything throughout the movie even though you know he's new to through the whole thing but for whatever reason he seems to be the only one that knows what's going on
0: Michael Moriarty to me looks like a guy that is not meant to be in any movie he's in. He looks like a two-bit insurance salesman mm-hmm. that's like halfway through a nervous breakdown. He he he's just not the guy you look at and you think <laughs> that's a leading man. Yeah. He, he's got, he's got thin straw straw like hair. By the time he's in this movie. He's not a very good looking man, and I say well, that in a in a not gay way at all. <laughs> they gave him a, a
1: hairpiece. That's not his hair. Because I don't know if oh, you remember. That's right. Remember yeah. in Q? Like in his Q, ha- he's hairline is.
0: He's got the cul de sac. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: right. So that's just yeah. a bad hairpiece. And he, it's funny to me that they gave him a hairpiece where he looks like he's balding. <laughs> so it's not even like they made him look, you know, like a cool or young looking or handsome, you know, leading man. No, he looks like a, a middle-aged man that's starting to bald instead of just
0: a bald one. Hans, I hate to flip this around on you, but yeah. you, you, you're you a self-critic saying that your hair is uh is thinning at, at your ripe age of 51. Yeah. Like how would you feel if somebody had cast you to be a lead guy in a movie – and they're like, oh, you know what? We're gonna g- we're gonna give you a hairpiece to just kind of even it out, may- give you a more full look. And they give you that. They give you this <laughs> crappy. Like, there's no point in that. There's a. It's like you five years ago. Like that. <laughs> that's your look.
1: It's just, yeah, I I don't understand. I mean, I don't see the point of it. It's not like it's not like anyone thinks that he's a sex symbol as soon as he wears that shit. Or uh, if like there's not even what a love interest throughout the movie or anything that would merit trying to make him look handsome but that's not a not even a, a
0: decent try at it let's just let him be bald well yeah it's that and just the fact that i get michael moriarty is somebody that i i guess for the sake of being in a cult film he, it, it works because he's this very normy looking guy but he, he's gotten plenty of work yeah. he, he's still alive i think he, he's in his late 70s now but it's just a guy that you look at and you think there's there's this guy can only be in a cheap 80s movie, but apparently he made a life out of that. And uh, it goes to his performance as well, as you had mentioned. Now, in a weird way, I will say he is charismatic. I can't tell if it's on purpose, though, or like yeah. in a tongue-in-cheek way, but he always has a proclivity to play these, uh, I guess, these very regional archetype kind of characters. Like in Q the Winged Serpent, he's this just scum rat new york wannabe th- gangster guy and in this he, he's just some wannabe good old boy from texas i guess <laughs> someone back South, in yeah. new york city or wherever it is but yeah, michael moriarty uh, certainly certainly leading man material i guess but you know you know who is leading man material that's in this movie did you notice paul sorvino yeah yeah, Paul Sorvino before he was in uh, his big break, uh, Goodfellas. At least, yeah. at least what I would consider his big break, as uh, a real, real voyager of, uh, of a of an army commander or whatever. He, uh he has
1: a great line. I, I wrote it down. Uh, hold on. It, it, he says, um, at one point at the end of the movie, when uh, they're about to interview um, Gareth Morris, and he says, "I will permit this colored man to speak." Uh, which, <laughs> which was just okay completely unnecessary <laughs> like there was no need for that uh he just showed up it's not like he was uh you know uh, uh arrested or anything it's just just threw that out there it's just i will permit this um uh, colored man to speak and
0: that made me maybe. laugh out loud <laughs> i was not expecting that at all maybe paul servino ad-libbed it who knows yeah he ad-libbed <laughs> slapping ray leota in the face and goodfellas what's uh What's to say? He didn't ad lib the little colored in there. But what about that chocolate chip Charlie name too? Yeah, I, again, you want to talk about like <laughs> subliminal race, uh, racial like <laughs> suggestions in this movie? One calling him uh, calling Garrett Morris colored too. Yeah, why well, is he? What's with when, chocolate chip Charlie <laughs>
1: <laughs> when he shows up? Uh, we don't know anything about this character. He's just beaten up by Moriarty and then. When he realizes who he is, he just says, oh, are you Chocolate Chip Charlie? And it's just like, how the fuck did this just get worse? Like at first he's <laughs> just attacking a black man and now he just called it Chocolate Chip Charlie? <laughs> uh, but apparently yeah, that was normal. Apparently everyone knew who Chocolate Chip Charlie was, so it's not an insult. Uh, I, I kind of miss when, when movies were just not give a fuck, like, uh, like in Blazing Saddles, you know, with the whole – uh, black guy, all of those black guy jokes that they have in there, where they would just be like, you know, this is fun, this is funny, so shut up,
0: you know. Uh, I kind of miss that from from modern movies. Well, yeah, I think that's something that's that's holding back a lot of movies today. That the the idea of being an edgy movie today is so just far and far and away from what being edgy was even forty years ago. Like you said, in the case of Blazing Saddles, you, you think of something that's edgy today. You think of what? Long shot with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Uh no, with, with um a comedy
1: about women that fart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, they go out, they get a little nutty and one of them farted. You know, that that's edgy comedy now, I think. My girlfriend was watching one of those the, the, the other day and she was like, "This is hilarious and I just wanted to commit suicide." Uh <laughs> but it was just it was that. It was like a bunch of, uh, you know, almost middle-aged women that go out to the bar and one of them drinks a little too much. So she starts saying truths and, oh my God, she just farted. You know, that type of thing. We're now, I guess that's edgy comedy now. Just women. Well, yeah, and,
0: and, and leave it to uh, a B-movie like The Stuff to, to look, again, it's just such a symptom of the times. A B-movie like The Stuff to look like almost cutting edge comedy in a sense or or just comedy that would be risque 35 years later like we we should be so far beyond that and the limits should be so pushed so much further but it's like going back to this and having the the blips in language or just the association of Chocolate chips with a black man, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's like it's as simple as, uh, and, and I guess the thing that bothers me from from modern day uh, films and TV shows now is that. You can show a character that says shit like that, and he's not a racist. you know it could just be a character that that 's how he grew up, so he or maybe he grew up around black men and doesn't see it as a wrong thing to call him chocolate chip Charlie, whatever it is that it means i'm sure it's a reference to something, but i didn't really read on reading on it but uh now it seems like whenever they want to show a character that would say anything like that, it doesn't matter what his background is or he's the way that he was raised. Is either a, a cartoonish version of a racist where there's they're you know the worst character in the world, and that's why they say that racist thing, or they just don't say it at all, so uh, the fact that there's people that talk like that and and don't do it with malice or anything that's just how they were raised uh, it doesn't exist in movies anymore it, it, well, You're either or, a horrible racist or just you just not don't or see what common.
0: happens yeah, or what happens is the 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 bad person like you're saying says that line that might not be completely uh, correct PG. in in the eye yeah PC or whatever and uh, the the movie almost takes a pause to correct them and almost steps out of character to correct them or say like dude that's messed up or to, or to just again get held up on it and and not trust the audience to know that it's just a comedy and in this yeah. case. Uh, even Larry Cohen knew. He didn't address this point specifically, but he he said the studio wasn't really pleased when he had sent back the final film to them because they thought they were going to get more of a straight-up horror movie. And I, I can right. see the potential for it there. But at the same time, I almost think Larry Cohen was... Uh, he had his his mind and his heart in the right place because he said, yeah, there there are quite a few comedic aspects to this movie. But... When you really take the concept into account, unless you have some very serious issues that you want to duke out with, with uh, big food or, or whatever you want to call it, this, it's a silly, goofy movie, and I think you need to treat it as such as, as much as properly possible. And he knew that here. And I think those exchanges, like the Chocolate Chip Charlie or mm. like the Paul Sorvino colored bit, I think yeah. they play into that.
1: But do you think those movies still exist now, though,
0: where it's just
1: a movie that's silly and over the top just for the sake of it?
0: Well, it's a good question. I, I want to believe that those movies still can not exist. The problem today is because, well, look at the stuff. It was dis- distributed by, I believe, yeah, New World Pictures, which what the hell happened to them, right? Or are, are they, They're no kind of player anymore. They, they, right. They've probably been defunct for 20 plus years. The problem I, I see is that because the gatekeeping is really strong these days, and there's you you see the graphs of six major media companies controlling so many uh, or such a high percentage of our media landscape that it's all designed on profit it 's designed on market value, and very few slip through the cracks that maybe get to video on demand or even for free or get some kind of small kind of theatrical independent right. run that to find movies like this is near impossible today or it's more improbable I guess if anything. They still can happen in my opinion but based on how restrictive the distribution process has gotten even in the advent of the internet it makes it really hard to find these um, maybe as marketably as they were back in
1: 1985. What um did Miramax continue buying Like independent movies
0: after, you know, the whole, you know. Like after the whole 90s, the whole 90s phase of of buying like Sundance films and whatnot. No, no, After the whole, you know,
1: rapist guy. Oh. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I can't think of his name right now and I can't believe that I forgot his name. Harvey Weinstein? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like what is Miramax doing? Because I remember that that was one of the few like mainstream or big studio voices that would – I guess, give a voice to independent movies, like what they've done with Kevin Smith, for example. Uh, but I don't yeah. know if they're still doing
0: that or, or have they become... Well, you know. yeah, Miramax is in a funny place, I think. Miramax, if I remember correctly, it kind of went under for a little while and really kind of faded into obscurity and, and wasn't the household name or wasn't being touted as such anymore. But I think Miramax is is coming back into the fray kind of like Orion. Orion has been revived in recent years. Mm. I think their first big one was the the Belco experiment, okay. and that was built under them, and now they're getting new films coming in. So I think Miramax is coming back in that regard as well. Miramax had, um, they had some stake in the most recent Halloween movie from uh, okay. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. So maybe with those players coming back and with some of the studio is at least semi-conscious that there is a certain novelty to the Orions and the Miramaxes, and maybe even like the tri star Pictures. I, I, right. I thought I saw somebody try to revive that too. There is a certain novelty of the kinds of films that are let out under those, under those flagships. And I, I think that's a really important kind of turn we have to make today uh, because films like The Stuff, as goofy and as silly and as uh, unwatchable as they might be to some... I think films like The Stuff are just like, like the perfect time capsules or gems of of contemporary films. Uh, like The Stuff is a movie that could only be made in 1985 or the 1980s. Right. But I think there's so many stories in that vein to be told. Even today in 2019, going into the 2020s, as weird as that sounds, I, I think there's so many movies that can continue to be told like that. Well,
1: they're definitely, uh, uh, you know, one of those turn your brain off movies, and most of them are like that because you have to get into the world of what that movie is, and they're usually uh, weird worlds that uh, in which you have to turn your brain off and just get into them. So, uh, yeah, especially in times now, like now, where social media has turned everyone fucking crazy. Uh, they will be like the perfect distraction uh, for just, you know, going into the movie and hopefully there won't be any type of political agenda attached to it, which unfortunately seems to be, you know, sneaking into everything now. Uh, and uh, like something like that, something like like a B movie that's just silly about, you know, a monster or, you know, something that someone created that shouldn't be there, uh, hopefully would help us pause Uh, everything that's going on in the world, everything that we think is going on in the the world, but it's not actually happening, uh, and give us like, a distraction. Like, whenever I watch this, or whenever I watch something like Evil Dead, which I I do a lot, uh, it's just like, uh, like you said, it's it's a time capsule, and at the same time, you're able to just pause everything that's fucking with you in your life, and just submerge yourself into this weird, quirky, cheap, fucking badly lit, uh, badly acted world uh, and uh, I feel like that would be very
0: valuable now. It's just about taking risks I guess. Well that's not to say that the stuff doesn't have any messages layered in it because it definitely does and right. uh, with the whole attack on the advertising uh, complex and, and the whole big food and big snack complex of in the junk food of the 1980s that was so rigorously billed I guess. I mean I don't know I wasn't alive uh, right. but But you and I grew up in the aftermath of that, and maybe to some extent that is true, and I feel that the effect from that um, definitely rang on. But I think you're making a great point in that there just needs to be uh, an open market and open kind of, I guess, uh, universe of films today that tap into into those same things and can be enjoyed in the same vein for their cheapness and for... They're just utter craziness and not to say there's not players out there, but to, mm-hmm. to kind of go back on the point that you and I were making toward the beginning of the show is that it seems that not a lot of players out there know the language, know the visual language and, and know the visual kind of kinetics that come with these, with these culty, crazy films. It, there's a certain look that has to be fit. And it, it's kind of funny to me because you you go on Trauma their their YouTube page even Trauma is falling somewhat a victim to this where they're making these crazy insane cult films like Lloyd Kaufman but mm-hmm. they're, they're shot with these very nice cameras and yeah. they look way too staged the the lighting is too it, it's too vibrant too. It pops off the set too much. So the set is obviously fake, but not in the right way. Right. And, uh, and it just gives you this weird kind of mismatch of feelings like, oh, this is what I want to see, but not like this. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it makes them look like more of a fan film or like something that, hey, I, sh- I should enjoy this. But for whatever reason, I'm taking out by the fact that it looks like a CW show.
0: Well, oh, yeah, yeah, it feels like I'm watching fucking Ryan Higa's movie from like 2008 that he made with his buddy. Uh Did you remember that one? I don't what's the name of it? I don't know. Do you know, know Ryan Higa? That from, from YouTube? Name. Niga Higa? Nope. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, well, there there goes that anecdote. Uh, he he was the um he was the top subscribed person on YouTube for a short time back in like 2008 2009 he did all those like how to be gangster how to be ninja videos and then he okay. he got his own super low budget movie kind of like this but it, it was just filmed with that crappy kind of status quo of oh let's get like decent cameras and film an awful movie not yeah. like oh let's go balls deep and make this crazy awful movie that feels like this underground film in it might sound contrived, and maybe it is a contrivance, but today I think you that's the bill you need to fit. You need to wear the role in that sense because there's nothing, I don't know, there's nothing offbeat and avant-garde about watching some 4K crap fest yeah. because it, it just it, feels, again, it feels like you're watching a film student that just sucks and that... Yeah. <laughs> they're no it, uh, good. It feels
1: like watching a I and mean, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but a YouTube product uh, production movie uh where it just it looks like a like a student film because they don't like the cinematography is just very bland and not taking enough risks. So it just looks like it either looks like a Hallmark channel movie or like a you know, low budget uh we have really nice cameras but we don't know how to use them. Type of movie where? Oh no,
0: that that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, I and I mean I, I've never seen a, a, a complete one, but I've just seen reviews of them just because I'm curious as to what they're actually producing, and they just look the same. They just look like a Disney
0: Channel show. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We're gonna punch up with this. You, you know, you know who fits <laughs> your criteria that you just said perfectly. Have you ever seen any of the uh, the that guy with the glasses movies that he makes? Like no. he does them every year, Doug Walker. Oh, uh, when, whenever he brings his all of his characters together and one. When he, when he yeah, when he brings the whole his whole <laughs> website staff together and he makes like this big, uh, kind of ensemble movie of all he, all the acts that are, on, that are on his channel. I don't know if he's doing these anymore, but he he did about six films like this. They were feature length. I'll, I'll give them give them credit. They, I mean, that's as far as I'll go. Right? Uh, <laughs> they were all feature length movies, like an hour and a half long, and he made like six of them, and they all sucked for that reason. I, I think I watched ten minutes of one of his Kick Assia movies, and it was exactly everything you said. It's filmed with the, It's filmed in like seven twenty p in like thirty yeah. fps, and it, it's just. <laughs> it's it's like a chore to watch into. You can't sink into it and because all of the those audio
1: the audio sounds like this. <laughs> in scenes, you can only hear this because they didn't bring the mic down enough. Where yeah, or
0: <laughs> where, 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 where the audio stops in one clip and then it starts in the next and it sounds like like yeah. just <laughs> such just a hard cut like <laughs> it, and it just goes to show that a lot of people would would dump all over a movie like the stuff and they'd say oh well this is garbage this this is trash and they're right in one regard but it, but in the other on the other hand they're not taking into account the actual production value that is there it, and the things that maybe the casual viewer doesn't notice that do go into making a movie like this like we just kind of gave a few examples of people that yeah they made movies but they had no idea of how to put one together or, or or how basic sound works in a film yeah. or how to edit when editing software has become disgustingly simplistic for yeah. nine-year-old kids these days. You can do it on your phone. But the stuff would be revered by most people today, I think as just unwatchable. But, oh yeah, go ahead.
1: I'm wondering what this movie, because uh, I guess the more I watch, B-movies, the more I can appreciate someone like Bruce Campbell, who can just – and I I honestly think that he's uh, one of the most underappreciated actors of my time at least because I feel like every time he's in something, even if it's something shitty like Man with a Screaming Brain that I think he wrote, uh, he always brings it to a point where the character is compelling and you either hate the character or love the character. And in something like this, with this Moriarty character, I don't think anyone in the audience would have been able to connect with him. But that's something that happens a lot in the movies uh, Which is why I think it's really weird that Bruce Campbell was never able to make that jump to, you know, making being in bigger movies more than just, uh, you know, a cameo or, a, you know, a, a scene stealer, which is pretty much what he's been his entire career. Uh, but, but, but you know but, what?
0: Uh, Bruce Campbell, sorry, uh, Bruce Campbell, I think, is very savvy in what he does because uh, a lot of a lot of those kind of cult figures like Bruce Campbell especially from the past that have mm-hmm. kind of reared their heads in the, in this new landscape of entertainment have become the epitome of too much of a good thing and i think right. i think Campbell has been savvy in that he's kept his presence known throughout the decades and and he's been in very successful entities like um uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead was just cancelled right. recently but it, it was a great show Yeah, and uh, now he's moving on to hosting like Ripley's Believe It or Not which uh, that's up for interpretation. I'll watch it but yeah. um, but yeah Campbell I think represents kind of the manifestation of what B movies or cult cinema uh, really I think embodies. It, it, it's just a guy that's talented beyond the knowledge of most average consumers and maybe maybe his forte is in something with a little bit more of an acquired taste but once you get past that kind of veneer of cheesiness and over-the-top hysterics you, you can actually appreciate the the quality and the work that's put into something that he acts in or in a film of the same caliber well, I'm a famously uh, known
1: lover of Burn Notice. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, it's terrible. Really? Is. Yeah. yeah. It's just I don't I don't remember. It was a, a dark time with my of my life where <laughs> where where that show would just be reruns. So and I think it was USA. Yeah. Uh, and he was in it, and I was like, "Oh, this is the guy from Evil. There, that's cool. He's fat and old now." but he was always uh he would always steal uh the uh, whenever he would be in a scene and he was the best part about that show so just by that made me watch it from beginning to end uh but but yeah i guess uh, the the smart thing that he's been able to do is that he's he's stayed as you said um maybe not relevant but he's out there like he he always has uh projects even if it's a small part on something and he's huge in, in the whole, uh, you know, convention thing where he's pretty much veneered by some of his fans as like a god, even though he's, you know, uh, just a regular snarky older man now. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I guess if you start or if I try to think of uh, someone that could encaps- encapsulate maybe B-movies in the 80s, like a leading man like that. Uh, who, who would you think of him? Maybe, uh, what's his name? What was this guy's name? Um, oh, fuck, I had it. Uh, the guy with the huge head, Robert Z- Zdar. Do you know? Do you oh, know who that shit. is? The guy that <laughs> the whose face head. looks like it's swollen from, uh, <laughs> um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Yeah, Maniac Cop. Have you oh, ever seen Maniac okay. Cop? So uh, this the actor, uh, I don't know if there was something wrong with his face, but his face was just, he looked like a Lego person. Mm-hmm. Or like a like a like a fat <laughs> Steven Seagal.
0: Uh, oh uh, my god! <laughs> have you never seen him? Um, yeah, I can't believe <laughs> that's, I, that's a face you don't forget.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was like an eighties B movie. Like he was in Samurai Cop and like all of these really shitty action movies in the eighties. And that those two are like the the ones that I that will be my go to whenever you want to talk about like a B movie leading man. Uh, Campbell because he's good, and this guy just because of how massive his fucking elephant man head is. Uh, and I think he's re- he recently died, but uh, yeah, he looks like like a uh, Steven Seagal with you know helium on his head. I think.
0: Well, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely actors. I'm trying to think of somebody I could pull out of, out of that uh, kind of repertoire. It's tough to say because there's so many different cult films. Like I'm thinking yeah. back to. Some of the the old horror movies that I'm thinking I'm thinking of films like The Howling and like I don't want to say what Dennis Dugan like maybe
1: <laughs> I guess you could say Happy Kurt, Gilmore <laughs> I guess you could say
0: Kurt Russell but Kurt Russell was more of an action
1: like oh, you, Kurt Russell he,
0: was a Disney bred uh, actor he, yeah you
1: believed him as an action star like whatever he would do it, he wouldn't be the you know the uh, Tommy Wiseau where you just don't believe anything that he's in like I guess he just you would believe his role just because he was so fucking cool and so charismatic. Um, but yeah, I can't. I can't think of. I mean, what re- Donald Sutherland? But he was a real actor too. But he was in a couple of of those. I guess everyone. Yeah, what's
0: What's fun is when you can you can find in these crazy kind of cult films, you can find these now prolific actors like uh, Donald Sutherland or. If you want to make the case for Kurt Russell, you could probably make that case too. Or in this case of The Stuff, you have Paul Sorvino, which yeah. a lot of people would look at him now and associate him with maybe one role. But that one role is, in my opinion, uh, far and away Scorsese's best film in probably uh, top five films of the 1990s uh, in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just funny to see where where their lineage Kind of started out now. Sorvino, I don't think was just starting out at this time. He, he was a bit older in his, uh, I think he was in his mid to late 30s uh, or forties at the time, actually, uh, for the stuff. But it was before he became the guy everybody knew. Before he became the mob boss that everybody saw slap Ray Liotta in the face like a bitch in in Goodfellas <laughs> and right immortalized himself. So it's always a treat to see these kinds of movies. Pop up in the in the filmography of somebody who now today w- would probably hate to look back on it and, and talk about the experience, dude. We I mean this is just a, a site.
1: Uh, what do you call a site? uh a whatever. Not part of this episode, but uh, because I'm I, I, now that you've never heard of or never seen Robert Z'Dar or however you pronounce his name, like you need. To watch one of his movies, and we need to do it for your show, I guess, because I'm just looking at the titles. Like, I've only seen maybe two or three movies by him, but it's just a head that you can't forget. Uh, but just looking at. <laughs> that sounds at the, like a great title. The head just, you can't forget. It sounds like a porno movie. But uh, <laughs> there, just by looking at his filmography, there's Soul Taker, Dragon Fight, The Killer's Edge, The Big Sweat, uh, Quiet Fire. Uh, I think we need to watch a couple of... Oh, man. Apocalypse (laughs) Frogtown 2. Didn't even know there was a Frogtown. A wild cactus. You know, we should do like a rubber star. (laughs) Uh, Just uh, because you're not familiar with him and I know that... Like, it's so mind-blowing to me whenever I see him on screen and think that anyone thought, hey, this guy to lead my... This fucking monster to lead my movie... Uh, so I kind of want to dig into into his <laughs> filmography a, a little bit. And uh, will you be up to doing something like that? Oh, I'd yeah, absolutely I you, be up for that. In spot, th- but, yeah. No,
0: no, I'd absolutely be up for it. The the more movies like this, in in my opinion, that are made, the better. And and again, they might be trash. They might be unwatchable <laughs> in, in some regard to some people. But I I think there is a weird cultural value to to movies like this. And the stuff again to go back to the stuff the the marquee of this show is yeah. one of them and it's it's hard to really go on about the stuff because it's it's straightforward it's it's evil <laughs> uh, candy or evil ice cream uh, snacks from from god knows where never explained uh, they never get into what the stuff is what it's really made of and, and it, it, it comes alive and it. And it floods around like The Blob, uh, which was remade three years after that. So who knows, maybe they were borrowing from them or uh, the stuff was borrowing from the original Blob in the 50s. But this one, it it just speaks to all those qualities that make these kinds of films uh, memorable and great. And just the fact that there there are audiences finding these films, uh, again, I mean, me included for the stuff. I hadn't seen it before uh, this past weekend. And uh, I'm glad I've seen this stuff and I'm glad I've been opened up to the films of Larry Cohen, because unless you're a real casual consumer (laughs) and you're not a cinephile or a a real connoisseur of all things cinema, like a lot of the listeners of this uh, program are, uh, these films come as a pleasant surprise because, again, like Hans is saying, you, you see this absolutely interesting man to look at with this bulbous head and i'm sorry okay he's dead now but i'm sorry if he had any kind of like thing going on there listen dude that's why you were cast so <laughs> it's it it really is an art an art form of itself to see what boundaries a crazy movie that's not going to be it's not going for the gold it's not going to be called the next uh, Dances with Wolves or whatever you want to say. It's good to see these movies push their own boundaries. And to have more of those kinds of films today, I think would be beyond timely. Do you know anything about a sequel for this movie? Because at the
1: end, it's like a very open ending of uh, uh, the guy just trying it, like contraband thing where they just take this box and, spoiler alert, uh, sorry, you had like 30 years to watch it. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> the the You know, the whole scene where they are carrying the whatever only box of uh, surviving stuff and then the guy tries it and just nods and then the movie ends. Uh, even though, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not entirely sure as to how much money it made, but I'm surprised that, you know, s- something like this didn't have a, a sequel when apparently it had pretty good reviews when it came out.
0: Yeah, in... This all goes back to kind of what we were saying about today's market and the idea of commercial viability. You you might have thought this was a challenge to be made in 1985. I there's no way in hell this movie gets made today without some private very faithful investor putting his money behind, or her money behind this because again, it's just so restricted today in what we can see and unless it's some kind of crowdfunding effort or yeah. something of the of, of the sort, uh, you're not going to get movies like this very often. You're going to get big blockbusters and, and studio-churned-out uh, pictures and nothing in between. And then at the end, you're getting fucking Doug Walker's 12th shitty movie shot with a fucking <laughs> handy cam. Uh So the stuff, uh, I mean, there's a few things I think to really touch on with this movie, but generally I think we've covered the bases in that it represents a a different time in terms of just cinematic techniques, in terms of what kind of films could be put out into the market. And then really the boundaries that were there back in the eighties and that really time before, I want to say 2013 or 2015, the boundaries that were there and, really blurred for the sake of uh, a few laughs and and for good measure in our opinion but aside from that i think there's a bigger discussion to be had about the kind of film that the stuff represented
1: i'm i'm surprised that they haven't tried to play on the nostalgia um uh, i guess it just wasn't popular enough uh because the the thing that i guess worries me is that they're going to start remaking them just because of the name uh uh recognition thing uh, uh, so I'm I'm worried about something like well they're they're I think they're already making a uh, Escape from New York movie or they were uh in the uh, yeah big yeah, trouble in little a... big trouble in little China too right yeah Which, it looks like
0: they're, they're going down the Kurt Russell library um I'm trying to think of what's gonna be after that is starting the rock <laughs> starting the rock is but the,
1: the the thing rock. with those movies is that it's just such a product of its time that you can't. Like I'm just trying to figure out how they're going to uh bring Asian characters that don't speak English <laughs> and wear like you know the straw hats and have these Asian superpowers into a modern day movie without causing outrage like I feel like uh uh and, and that's the thing that worries me about movies like this where you know it's it's pretty much something that could be done in the eighties and that's it because now. Let's say that you have a movie like this stuff, maybe not the same or not the the movie with the same name, but the same concept. Uh, Like now it would be really unbelievable that one, uh, this would spread out to the way that it spread in this movie without anyone, uh, you know, checking to see if anyone died. (laughs) Because it seems like this went on for a long time in the movie before anyone you know realize that that people were going to die and also because of you know social media and like people don't tr- not trusting the government so the whole you know stop eating this shit part Like you couldn't play that off now because there's only going to be a small part of the population that believes in that shit. So it's just things that I don't think would work in modern movies. And I'm worried that by bringing them into 2019, which is what I'm assuming they're making, uh, like if they kept them in the 80s, maybe. But that's not what they want because, uh, you know, they have to sell toys and they have to sell merchandise. And and, uh, all of that retro shit has to be either slick or modernized somehow uh where something like this or something like you know those uh big trouble in little china or um uh to escape from new york uh just wouldn't work and it's just a, a waste of of everything you know
0: no well you're making a good point and the idea of modernizing films like these that might not translate well Well, the interesting point about the stuff is that I I don't think it could necessarily be remade in today's landscape. And the reason I think that, uh, very personal reasons or my personal ethos that goes into this, but my belief is that the the stuff couldn't be made the same way or or even have a similar kind of plot because now today the corporations are so in bed with the films Mm. and vice versa, whereas... The stuff was really a dissenting voice in or toward the the corporate markets of the 1980s. But now, with how intertwined everything is with one another, whether it's corporations and celebrities, politicians and celebrities, politicians and corporations, uh, corporations and, and films, films and celebrities, films and politicians, yeah. it's so deeply intertwined that being a voice of dissent I, I think it's not it's not viable or it's it's hardly viable or unless you're making films with somebody like cinestate who we've praised plenty mm-hmm. uh, in our variety of shows unless you're going with somebody that is is prideful in being a dissenting voice and there's not many it's it's hard to make a film like that today but can, can you imagine something like they live uh in two thousand nineteen,
1: nineteen, that is not just Trump bashing. Like that's yeah, the well, <laughs> that's yeah, just, I it, mean, just
0: that. Just, yeah, it, it it would be just so predictable, <laughs> and that that's why a film like They Live is it's culty, but it's also mainstream because it's it's influenced a few uh, pop culture kind of uh, icons and whatnot. The whole obey thing, I think, yeah. was ripped off from the movie without permission and turned into this like new clothing line, which is funny. It's an, an absolute fucking antithesis of yeah. the movie, just leeching off that movie's criticism of, of corporations and consumerism to make your own fucking corporation is just, I mean, th- that's <laughs> the, that's the sim, the, the symptom of the times right now yeah. is that everybody's in bed with each other and, in to call one branch, I guess, of, of this whole complex out of, of whether it be uh, entertainment or whether it be uh, big personalities or politicians or whatever, you have to fight against almost all of them at the same time. And unless you really have, I think, uh, your feet you know, cemented in the ground and, and have a loyal kind of fan base... It's going to be hard to to make any of those kinds of movies and and have them be shown, let alone produced. Yeah. By, by studios today, it's just because the problem runs so deep. And maybe, maybe Larry, Larry Cohen, might have saw that all those years ago, or probably not. But Hans, uh, any closing thoughts on the stuff? Uh, watch it. It's a lot of fun.
1: Uh, it's an hour and a half where uh it's it's engaging like there's it, it gets slow in a couple of points but i feel that uh the concept is ridiculous enough and at the same time not that it's engaging uh as a regular you know uh friday night saturday night movie where you just have nothing to do and you just want to chill at home with some popcorn and just laugh at something stupid because there's definitely a lot of funny bits uh on purpose and also not on purpose in this movie uh so just watch it and just uh you know and uh, i I don't know i i just feel like uh b movies uh should be shared more than they currently are and uh uh i mean the whole cult thing it's almost mainstream now to a point uh but at the same time gems like this uh, uh sometimes are still overlooked and i feel like people should just go out there and and watch it same with uh with uh street trash, which is what we were originally going to talk about, but I
0: haven't seen yeah, it in a while. We, we were <laughs> going to talk about street trash, but uh, Hans did not get his refresher on that, which yeah. is fine. Maybe, maybe that can be a, a later episode the, on my my show instead of Laura's show. But
1: let me ask you something uh, that show because I don't, I can't get shutter here in Costa Rica because it's restricted by region. Um, with uh, what's his name, Joe Bob Briggs, is it? Yeah yeah so the, do they show the whole movie or do they do like a mystery science theater thing theater thing where they comment on it or is it uh like they used to do back in the day where they would cut the movie in like five parts and then in between he would come back and like talk about what just happened
0: or what's the, the format of the show yeah pretty close to the the latter of those three that you had said so yeah they should they show the whole movie but like you said uh Kind of in place for the commercial breaks because Shutter really doesn't have any commercial breaks because it's a streaming service. Uh, Joe Bob will come in and he'll he'll comment so far on h- how the film is going. He'll give some background on the film or he'll just riff on it, like if he hates it for ten minutes okay. and just and just right after that it'll pick up from where it left off. But it, they usually cut it at uh, the most opportune moments, so it it never feels uh, inorganic or disjointed or anything like that. I mean, you talk about the whole cult thing and the whole kind of retro angle or nostalgic angle to these kinds of films. Well, it's funny that this whole Joe Bob Briggs craze has come back in 2019. And uh, I think that's symbolic of the same thing that something like uh, The Stuff is, and that there are these very particular kinds of formulas or entities or films from the past that I think it's good to get a new taste of them. In this case with Joe Bob mm-hmm. Briggs, getting a, sh- getting a new show again and doing the, doing the marathons with the comment, uh commentary. I think there are certain formulas like that, that it goes past nostalgia. It's just good to have shows like this where, because I'm thinking like years ago, what was the closest thing we might have had to that after Joe Bob had left from Monster Vision? We had those two fucking dweebs on FX, the chick and that stupid manlet guy that would comment <laughs> in between, like, I don't know, Iron Man or something like that. Oh, they God. give you the DVD um, extras behind the scenes or something like that. Like, that there was sucked.
1: A, there was a channel where, and I don't remember what channel it was, but I, I remember distinctly that they would show movies like i know what you did last summer or scream and it would be four friends each of them would be of a different race and they were or four maybe from 4 to 6 and there would always be a couple of women there and it would just cook dinner so so whenever there would be like a commercial <laughs> break they would go to them and comment about you know what's happening in the movie while they make snacks and shit and that was so horrendous but i always wanted something like that as long as the person was interesting in what they were saying. Wasn't Elvira something similar to that? Uh, Maybe not uh, as as length to um, uh, rant about anything, but or would she just
0: present uh, beginning and end of the movie? No, I mean, yeah, I would totally agree. Elvira is in that same vein, and uh, she's kind of having a slight resurgence as well, Uh, Cassandra Peterson. And I think... I think we do need more of that. I, I think we need yeah. more of these kinds of uh, arbiters of of genre cinema. And in, in the whole host angle, it's it's a fun thing to have. It's an art that we lost. I think, I want to say, when, when Joe Bob fell off from Monster Vision in uh, the early 2000s, I think that was the last time we had anything that really had some passion behind it, somebody that gave a shit, and somebody that genuinely enjoyed it rather than just trying to get another etch on their corporate belt like the fucking dickweeds that were on FX.
1: But um, there's also... And I feel like YouTube is to blame, maybe not to blame, but uh, a reason for this happening now is that uh, commentary channels and just people reviewing things are so popular now, hello, uh, that uh, (laughs) something like this, when you have someone that's going to talk about a movie or show you something that you might have done, not uh, seen before... There's nothing on TV about uh like this and that used to be, you know, uh sometimes even uh um basic cable access, you know, uh is that what it's called? No, um what's it called? The uh, when you pay to present your show in like in local channels.
0: Oh, uh Yeah, like public access. Public mean? access. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and uh shows like that used to exist, but Because cult and because all of those movies were not mainstream, like this is pretty much how you were able to see them either by like tapes or something like a public access show. Uh, and I'm assuming that Elvira might have started with like something like that. I'm just guessing because I don't really know uh, the story behind her show, but I I feel like now with the uh resurgence of uh YouTube commentators of people just very opinionated talking about movies and things like that, it's a perfect time to have something like. The Joe Bob Ricks show where you have someone that it's going to tell you about things about the movie that you're not gonna know. Uh like trivia, I'm assuming again I haven't seen the show. <laughs> trivia or just rant about the movie in the middle of it. Uh and uh you get both things. You get, you know, a movie that you might have not seen or heard of, and at the same time someone commenting on it like most people like to watch on YouTube. So uh if you look it's a it's a perfect time for something like this, and hopefully it will give Uh, you know, eyes to these movies that uh,
0: maybe are not as well-known as they should be. Yeah, like, uh, have you ever seen Mr. Lobo? No. Mr. – yeah, he's he's in that same vein. He came on in like the early 2000s, and um, he was on plenty of TV channels and everything, and um, I was actually – I'm actually trying to get him on my show. He said he would do it, but, uh, I mean, that's yet to happen. But he moved on to the web mostly now because it just – that whole kind of appeal to to hosting things fell off, like you said, with YouTube and whatnot. So he's on, he's on, he's working off the internet primarily now. But I mean, my opinion is that that's something worth keeping around. I, I think that's an art worth having. Honestly, uh, I forget where and uh, how Cassandra Peterson uh, as uh, Elvira might be working now, but I'd say Shutter should probably consider kind of. Um, What, uh, poking the iron while it's hot? Is that the the euphemism I want to use? Sure. (laughs) uh, I think because uh, this next episode, episode nine, is Joe Bob's last show of season one, uh, assuming they give him another show. I couldn't imagine why they wouldn't give him another season. He's been exploding their bandwidth week after week and every special he does. I would say they would be super savvy to bring Elvira back into the mix. And so maybe this wouldn't be the best thing for conventional television because it's a shutter. But I I mean, it's my favorite streaming service. I watch it a lot. It's super cheap. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. I pay four bucks a month for it, which is especially given the amount of uh, content you get And with again, like uh, Joe Bob having one of the best kind of like movie centric shows on there uh it's totally worth it and I, i've been plugging it a lot lately yeah. but i mean i th- i think it it's it's a good thing for people that would be listening to this show and people that are uh heavy on genre
1: and it, especially because oh, yeah. of of uh you know netflix producing so much garbage lately i know that i know that uh Lopez, i hate calling him Lorez. i know <laughs> i know that the uh has talked about how their production has You know, improve uh, recently, but I honestly have not been impressed by anything they've done since. Fucking, I don't know. Like, I can't even remember the last thing that was in a documentary that I liked uh, in their production. I guess uh, Maniac was pretty good that show, even though I didn't finish it. Uh, Alter Carbon was pretty good, but you know, uh, when it comes to their movies, I, I, uh, I don't know. I haven't really been interested in what they've done uh, lately, and. I feel like Netflix is, it has become a thing kind of like Spotify where it's the most famous streaming service. So you just have it to have it. And most yep. of the time when I'm fucking browsing through it, like I spend more time trying to find something that I might want to watch than actually watching anything. Uh, so Shutter, like that's the thing that I'm kind of upset about that. I mean, I guess I could get a VPN, but I, it, this is definitely one of the services that I would appreciate having. And unfortunately, it's not available uh, I guess because of distribution restrictions, but...
0: Yeah, I'll yeah, that's pirated. unfortunately the thing. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, VPN might just be worth it. The one I use doesn't slow me down too much. But again, I don't know how the infrastructure is down there in Costa Rica. Uh, yep. We'll close in a second, but I, I think you made a great point about Netflix. We can close on this, uh, I guess, in just a minute. But Netflix, to me, I think, is the new generic cable TV. I think, yeah. like you said, Netflix has... I mean, how many? Uh, I think it has over 100 million subscribers. Uh, And not to mention all the the leeches that are on those accounts, like the seven people that are on the accounts. I'm one of them. uh, Mooching off somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) So you have hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people using this service. And it's just become as vapid as what cable television seemed to become in the 90s and the early 2000s. And, well, to be honest, uh, I think... If it's going to be Netflix, keep it that way because it, at least then we can centralize it to one shitty hub. Uh, yeah. If people want to pay for it, that's fine. I spend probably the least amount of time on Netflix than I do any of the other services I have. Are uh, you telling me that you're not excited about that Ruth Vader Ginsburg documentary? Well, I thought that already came out.
1: Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, the one know, with obviously. Felicity
0: Jones or?
1: I, 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 I don't <laughs> I just know that they were putting out something about her after the AOC documentary that I – Oh, yeah, yeah, right up, right up my alley in. Yeah, and that yeah. Obama you know, uh,
0: talk show because that's yeah. – yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What, and, when and I think, I think of it, countercultural media, that's what I'm yeah, thinking
1: of. Yeah, that's, that's what I want from my alternative uh, television uh, service. And uh, I think – yeah, it, it feels like what uh, – what is it called? Warner Cable – time warner cable was five years ago where you know um maybe not five maybe ten years ago that was the only option you had at at, in areas in the state so it's either that or nothing and and i feel like just because netflix has become such a huge thing in social media and you know the whole netflix and chill meme and all that shit has made it so huge that they just don't really care as much about putting out good shit because as long as you have a recognizable actor in it or as long as you know it's a a redemption story about uh you know an adult child that refuses to follow the norms of society or whatever the fuck uh Bree Larson movie or whatever the fuck uh Dupless brothers who I usually enjoy them but like I'm kind of sick of you know uh uh, adult guy or adult girl that's going through a thing now and uh, oh my god she's so mean or he's so mean to people and he's gonna learn to not be so mean and it's just like
0: uh, oh, I, I, f- you're, and, you're, you're describing garden state oh my and, uh, god <laughs>
1: Jesus. but it's just it's just like i uh, 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 uh they be- they become so big where it just doesn't matter whatever they put out they know that millions of people are gonna see it just because it's there and because it's new and whenever there's something new out people will watch it. Uh, so something like this, like Chudder, which is uh I guess specialized into horror, uh, or I'm I'm sure that something um I guess I guess uh networks with uh um uh HBO and, and uh well I guess now Disney having their own channels they're able to put on, out their old the old shows which is I guess what I would be interested uh on uh on their streaming services but I like that it's becoming more uh, focused on you know whatever you're into. Uh, I guess the, the the ones that you guys mentioned the, the Criterion one. I guess that one's a little bit more uh, open, kind of like Netflix, but more refined, I guess. Uh, yeah, but curated, but, uh, yeah, for yeah. Sure. E- but at, at least you know, I, I I I really feel like Netflix has become you know the Time Warner Cable of two thousand whatever it is that we're in now. It's 2020s, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, it, it definitely has, and I think it, it should stay that boogeyman because um, that leaves it open for uh, services like Shudder to give us films like The Stuff, which, again, I probably wouldn't have seen if it weren't mm-hmm. for Shudder, if it weren't for The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. So I think the tides in media are changing a little bit, and just the more people that are able to see these kinds of films... Better, I think <laughs> that, that'll satisfy me a little bit more. Uh, Shutter is owned by AMC, which is run by uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment. So, as long as they leave autonomy in yeah. these services, let them do their thing. Don't change. Like, I even sent them an email like last week because they told me uh, they were hiking rates on new subscribers, but they weren't hiking mine. Right. I was like, I was like, please don't Hike change it. for anybody. <laughs> Uh, and they, they like responded to it. They thought that was funny. Um, as long as we have arbiters like this and people that can recruit, uh, a Joe Bob Briggs or like an Elvira or somebody like that, that, that can kind of rekindle those, uh, affinities for, for genre filmmaking and, and cult filmmaking and independent film, j- just stuff that is unconventional. It, there's just going to be a, a richer landscape, I think, um. Uh, And and hopefully we'll we'll help turn the gears uh, for the collective kind of film conscious to to get us out of the mundanity of of this uh, repeated blockbuster churning and whatnot. So anyway, I I think (laughs) The Stuff is... is a Yeah, that that was a lot of big words for me uh, at this time (laughs) of night, but that's what happens when I drink all my water. Uh, I think The Stuff is a movie that a lot of you will like. I think the stuff is a movie that sure it's not perfect but it's definitely a worthwhile watch you'll get a few laughs and uh maybe you'll learn a few things just about unconventional cinema so I'll leave it there for me Hans you can uh you can hit us with some yeah. plugs I know you've been removed from uh yep. Twitter <laughs> So still you're pretty much you just this <laughs> dormant ghost on the internet right now.
1: I'm uh, I'm still suspended and I uh, I tried creating different uh Twitter accounts but somehow I even created different email addresses and I logged in from work which I'm not supposed to but I used their VPN and everything and for whatever reason like they're able to just track me. Now I tried four times and then after fourth the fourth one I was like fuck it I'm I'm just I guess I'm just not going to be
0: able to be a shithead on on Twitter anymore. I, I get anymore. idea. I you should make a new handle and make it at totally not Hans. And <laughs> j- that'll and I, photos
1: <laughs> of me with like a, a darker like skin. Uh, 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 sorry, a darker skin color, and just yeah. No, I I think, and that's the thing. Like, uh, I feel like I was wasting too much time there anyway, and and uh, now like I'm honestly not um informed uh, about anything that has to do with american politics and it feels pretty good <laughs> like God. i feel like i feel like i would sometimes get upset about how stupid everything is uh, over there, and uh, which is ridiculous because I'm all the way over here, and it's just what's the point? That now that in I don't a third have third world to that,
0: country. Exactly. and you should be you should be
1: thankful for it. exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like it, it makes no sense to me, but a lot of times that would upset me. And now that I don't even have access to that or whatever, you know, funny dumb shit tw- uh, Trump said that is making everyone freak out. Uh, it's it feels pretty nice. So I don't I don't know. I mean, it's good for for advertisement. Sake, maybe you I can guess, migrate
0: to Reddit.
1: Eh. See, like, I just don't have the energy. Like, that's the thing. I just don't. I guess maybe when... Yeah, I don't know. Like, even we'll now we'll that, uh,
0: that we have...
1: That we have more... No, let's not do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when Now that we have more episodes coming out, and like, now there's a... You know, I think the Comfort System episode 2 is on live on YouTube now. Uh, mm-hmm. So this would be a great time for me to do something like that but at the same time like i had that twitter for like 10 years if not more and i only have like 400 followers so it's not like i was setting in the world on fire anyway um so after saying all of that uh <laughs> um just follow loris on on instagram and and youtube and i guess he'll just tag me and shit there and you can get to my stuff my my instagram is not at all like jokey or or, or like my twitter it was so no, it's I very like been, serious. It's I, very personal. It, it's, I feel like
0: I've been talking for 20 minutes now. Um, it's it's so, the good so. side of Hans, Hans's Instagram. It's the, it's the human side, not the <laughs> not the yeah. fucking, like, yelling at Ike Barinholtz on Twitter's side, <laughs> which, which I can get behind that because he's a, he's a fucking dweeb. But, uh, okay, yeah, so in terms of me, I'm going to co-sign on the Lores endorsement. As a matter of fact, like Hans said, uh just recently episode 2 of comfort systems was dropped to youtube it's still exclusively well not exclusively but it's still on lowres.live on the main site but you can check it out at youtube that might be a little bit easier for you to share with your friends and family and with your grandmother and yeah uh just a wholesome show for family entertainment comfort yep. systems episode 2 you can also follow me on my links, uh, The Tologist on Twitter, The T-O-L-O-G-I-S-T, uh, The Cinematologist's Movie Reviews on Facebook, and YouTube, there will be coming developments. There is a plan in place, and uh, I just, uh, I'll just i leave it brief and just say there's an operation I hope to kick up extraordinarily soon. So we've got that going, and then my podcast, uh, Dissecting Cinema, we're going to come back with an episode very soon. It's been on a hiatus, but... It'll be back as soon as I can record the next episode, which will be this week. So with that said, guys, this has been Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema, brought to you by Lores Wonderbread, And this is the cinematologist and Hans signing off.